Welcome back to another episode of the Lawyers in the Making podcast. I'm your host, as always, Nate Crespo, and today we have another amazing guest. He's a graduate of Mercer University, Walter F. George School of Law, and currently works as a personal injury and wrongful death attorney at the Champion Law Firm. He's held past positions as an attorney at Brogdon Champion and as an attorney at Warshower Law Group. That's a tough one. Warshower. Warshower. Yeah. There we go. See, I try every episode. It's a hard name to pronounce. I... Darl, Darl is easier to pronounce. <laughs> Darl is easier, as I learned before. Excited to have him on the podcast today, Mr. Darl Champion. Welcome to the podcast. How are we doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, always interested to, you know, tell my story about how I ended up in law school and my experience in it and how I got to where I'm at. And I think, you know, this podcast idea you have is wonderful. Well, I appreciate that. And I am very happy to have you here as well. Now, Darl, before we get started, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. So um, I live in the Atlanta area. Um, I'm originally from North Carolina. My, um, uh, my dad was in the military and, um, got out before I was born, but stayed in the town. And so I grew up in a military town. It's called Fayetteville, North Carolina, um, right next to what used to be called Fort Bragg, now Fort Liberty, one of the largest, um, military bases in the world. Uh, my mom worked on the army base for her entire career from the time she was 18 until the time she retired. Um, uh, Went to public schools, graduated from high school in 2000. My dad taught at the local college. It was called Methodist College at the time. It's now Methodist University. And it's a small liberal arts school, about 2,000, 2,200 students. So didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life and um, decided, well, you know, I know I need should be going to college. So let me go to the college my dad teaches at because I didn't have to pay tuition and I thought, I'll just go there and figure things out and, you know, then decide what I want to do. Ended up staying there all four years, graduated in 2004, then went to law school um, at Mercer, which I know we'll talk a lot about today and kind of that journey. Um, I have my own plaintiff's firm in um, the Atlanta area. Started it 10 years ago. So this year is our 10-year anniversary. Um, and before that, I had a couple of good experiences Um you know, one clerking for a federal judge after law school, um, spent two years doing that, then spent um, a few years at a plaintiff's firm um, before starting my own firm. Well, let's go back to the beautiful year of 2004. I was one years old. <laughs> You're making me feel old, Nate. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Listen, sometimes no, it's I, okay. Sometimes I feel old. I'm, I'm 20 years old now. I, I've been there <laughs> for two decades. It's it's pretty insane, honestly. It, it, yeah. It shocks me every day of my life. I'm like, Just wait till you're 40. <laughs> then it'll be D- double the years. Oh my goodness. Getting, I'm not scared, but you know, I can't wait to I guess I can't wait to be 40. I guess that would be nice. But going back all the way to the year 2004 at Methodist University. Also, congratulations on 10 years of the champion law firm. That's a big achievement. Thank you. That's that's wonderful. Ten years of having your own firm. I hope to do that one day. Maybe not a law firm. Maybe maybe it is a law firm. But you know, have my own little thing going on. Why not? So Methodist University, you graduate in two thousand four. What were sort of the factors that went into deciding I'm going to go to Mercer University? I'm going to go to law school. Why'd you do it? Yeah. So 
That's a great, great question. How did I end up in law school? Um, you know, I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I, I think that's common among people that are, you know, in college, you know, there's so many different things you can study. And I liked a variety of different topics. I ended up being a political science major. Um, I almost minored in Spanish, but I took a lot of Spanish classes. So I liked learning um, the Spanish language. Don't ask me if I'm fluent <laughs> because I'm not. Um, you know, took a lot of history classes. I, I liked learning about government and that kind of thing. And, you know, I was thinking, well, you know, I definitely don't want to do anything on the science or math side. I really wasn't interested in going to work at a business uh, for somebody else. So the options were really law school or graduate school. And, you know, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, I, I really didn't know what it involved. Um, and I, And I think that's true of a lot of people. I, I think even the people that think they know what it involves, unless they've worked in a law firm or been exposed to it or have a family member in it, they really don't know. So um, it, it wasn't necessarily a process of elimination that led me to go. Um, I, I was interested in it. I mean, I, you know, starting, I think my sophomore year, I started really looking at law schools and figuring out, okay, where do I want to go? Um, I looked at schools in North Carolina, the Southeast, some in the Midwest, uh, but I had a teacher or professor at, at uh, Methodist College who went to Mercer. So she was the, the uh, head of the legal studies department and taught uh, one of the legal studies classes I took. So she went to Mercer. I was familiar with it from that. But I mean, I didn't know much about Macon, Georgia, which is where the law school is. Uh, you know, I got one of the fancy brochures, which every law school has a fancy brochure that makes it look great. Um, it's a nice, shiny booklet and makes it look like it's awesome. Um, but applied there, applied to several other schools, um, got into several, looked at, you know, I looked at Florida State. I thought I wanted to go there because, I, you know, I thought, hey, it'd be great to live in Florida. Uh, but the out-of-state tuition was really high. Um at Mercer, they offered me a very generous scholarship. Um, it was not full tuition, but it was pretty close to it. I mean, it was like 75% to, or or more of, of the tuition. I think it was about 80%. Um, and so, like, I can't turn that down. I mean, I'm going to be paying, you know, I think at the time it was $24,000, $25,000 a year tuition. Um when you started, you were locked in for all three years. They gave me like a nineteen to twenty thousand dollar a year scholarship. So I'm like, it's kind of a no brainer. Um, go to Mercer. So that's how I ended up at Mercer. Um, well, it sounds like, in the words of Don Colleone, you give them an offer that they simply can't refuse, and, and they and they did and they did that for you. And that's definitely been a theme throughout this whole podcast. Is is that money is is a very important factor. It always should be. Uh, right. Because at the end of the day, you know, it, 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 it doesn't grow in trees, as my mother tells me. Uh, yes, so, correct. So it, it should always be one of the very main factors in choosing a law school. Now, let's go to that first year. People always talk about it's the most intense or traumatic or, you know, whatever it may. You could put any word on it. But how is it for you? Um, You know, when I started... And, and I guess let me kind of put this in context a little bit. I think, as with anything, it's what you make out of it. And I did not go into law school with any preconceived ideas about where I was going to rank or, you know, I 
I tried hard. I got really great grades in college. Um, but I, I never viewed myself as like, I want to be at the top of my class. It was just, I just want to do my best. I just want to try my best. I did not have any intentions of, you know, going to work at a big law firm, for example, which if that's your goal, um, being in the top of your class is very important, particularly at, at Mercer. I mean, if you're, if you're at Harvard or one of the top tier law schools, um, you know, the big firms hire a little bit deeper into the class. At Mercer, though, and if you go to a school that's kind of in that same category, there is kind of a lot of pressure to rank high if that's what you want to do. But I didn't want to do that. I thought I wanted to be a criminal defense attorney um, and or personal injury attorney. I thought I wanted to do both because where where I grew up, like we didn't have big law firms. I grew up in a mid-sized city in eastern North Carolina. I mean, that was, I mean, everybody that I knew that was a lawyer kind of did everything. You know, they did your, there were some that did personal injury and criminal defense, but some of them did like divorces and wills and personal injury, criminal defense, they did kind of everything. So I didn't really know what I, I had an idea what I wanted to do. And so I really focused on just doing my best and just learning. Um, and I think that helped a lot. Um, you know, first semester I, you know, worked my tail off, um, spent a lot of time in the library reading cases, got up early and would study, was just continuously reading cases and doing my best um, and and did great. I mean, I, I, I think at the end of the first semester, I was um, like in the top 10% of my class. And so second semester, I was like, wow, like maybe I really should, you know, continue putting forth this maximum effort and and maybe even focus on, you know, trying to, to really just hit it out of the park. And so um, second semester is kind of the same thing. I, I took the skills that I learned and kind of what I needed to do to be successful and to continue to grow and did that. And then my grades the second semester were even better. Um, and then that gets us to the summer after my first year, which I'll stop there. Um, but that was kind of how my first year went. I mean, it's obviously, it's a lot of stress. Um, I think the biggest thing though, is it's just drudgery. It's just reading cases consistently day after day. It's like groundhog day. You're like, I mean, I think my first semester I had Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I had like the same four classes. And then Friday I had like one or two. Um, but it's like every day, got to go, got to read. Get done with class, go read. Get done with class, go read. And it was just a lot of work. So I have to ask from that, what, what were sort of some some key things that you held with yourself or the sort of mindset that you had to get through all that stress of the first year? That's a great question. I mean, um, just putting my head down and doing the work. I mean, that was really a lot of it was just kind of understanding that um, I just need to do the work and get through with it. Um, you know, I think, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people do get burnt out. I think that's common. I think I was, uh, there was definitely a time kind of halfway through the semester where, you know, I was like, man, this is really, um, just burning me out because I'm doing the same thing every day. So I think it's important to have a balance, you know, exercise, take care of yourself, have interest and in hobbies outside of school. 
um, you know, try and, and do things. So you're not just always working, but it is a grind. It is an absolute grind if you're going to do what you need to do to be successful. That's a great point. I love I love embracing the grind. You always have to em- embrace the difficult as I've, mm-hmm. I've seen before. I heard you say exercise. I love working out. It's one of my favorite things in the world. I always say the gym is my church. I go there, you know, every single day. I go pray. Uh, but going forward in law school, how did you sort of figure out, you know, you wanted to do personal injury? How did you sort of sure. that path for yourself? So, um, you know, originally intending to do criminal defense, I only tried to get jobs after my first year uh, for that summer that were criminal law related. So DA's office, public defender, criminal defense firm, got a job at the DA's office, interviewed with them, I want to say in the spring, um, and worked at the DA's office in Macon the summer after my first year through my entire second year. Um, so I was working part-time at the DA's office while having a regular course load my second year. It was um, eye-opening. Um, you know, first the pay sucked. I made like five twenty-five dollars an hour. I think the minimum wage then was like five fifteen. dollars Working 40 hours a week, getting like $190 a week take-home pay. Um, but, you know, I think what I, what I realized from that experience was I liked the academic side of criminal law. I liked issues of criminal procedure, uh, constitutional laws that came up in that, and just kind of the substance of of criminal law. But I didn't like the day-to-day practice of it. I didn't like the, it's just very messy. I mean, you're getting in there, you're dealing with, you know, especially crimes involving children or, you know, sexual assault or sexual abuse claims um, with, with minors or adults and, you know, violent crimes and drug crimes. And it was just, so messy and just seeing that i was like you know what i don't really think this is for me like uh, i want to look at something else so second year you know as i'm doing the part-time gig at the da's office i'm thinking you know what's out there and i i reached out to a couple people um ultimately got a summer clerkship at a really good plaintiff's firm in macon worked there summer after my second year and then all through my third year. So that was like my part-time job through my third year and really liked it. Like I just really enjoyed it. I liked, you know, working up cases. I liked research. I liked, you know, working with people. And I knew at that point I was eventually going to be a plaintiff's lawyer. Yeah, I love I love to hear the work at the DA's office. I was fortunate to, enough to work at my DA's office this past summer. And and just like yourself, it was truly was an eye-opening uh, sort mm-hmm. of experience. I worked in asset forfeitures and, you know, the, the sort of cases that uh, the lawyers in my office, it was a small office, only three people. Bless mm-hmm. them all, though. They were amazing. They talked to me for hours because I have six million questions that they have to answer. Uh, and, uh, you know, I sort of found out just like yourself that it's not something for me. Uh, you know, it's constant motions. There's a lot of pro se cases. Mm-hmm. You know, we got people in, in jail basically coming after the department and them have to sort of deal with it. 
you know, the people in jail aren't getting the deadlines in time. And now they're fighting this and they're doing motion after motion. And I was like, yeah, that, that's not I don't think that would be for me. This this doesn't seem enjoyable. Yeah. I enjoyed the experience. It was a very, very good time. Uh, and it was only me and another intern as well. So shout out, Brendan. Great guy. Uh, <laughs> he's at NYU now. Big guy. Uh, but uh, it's definitely something to to your point is something I'd love to highlight on this podcast of sort of the negative experiences and the positive experience of the sort of work that you go and do. And clearly for yourself, it worked out in that same way that you don't really know if you like it or not until you actually try it. And I think yeah. that's so, so important. Uh, so going graduated law school, school in 07, you became a federal law clerk for the Honorable Hugh Lawson. Can you talk about that experience? How was that? Did you like it? Did yeah. you love it? So, um, you know, again, I kind of fell into that uh, clerkship. Um, you know, clerkships are very coveted positions with federal judges and a lot of people, you know, want to do that. That wasn't really my goal. Um, you know, again, either when I started law school or in law school, but you know, I, I'm graduating. I did well. Um, you know, I ended up graduating second in my class. Um, was on law review and and everything. And you know, that fall of my third year, kind of thinking about, okay, what do I want to do? Firms were interviewing. You know, I don't want to do the criminal thing anymore. Should I go somewhere and maybe make some money first? Should I go work at a plaintiff's firm? Am I? I'm. You know, am I going to go back to North Carolina? Am I going to go to Atlanta? Am I going to stay in Macon like for a little while? What am I going to do? And so uh, there was a federal judge in Macon um, that was hiring, applied to him, uh, Judge Royal, excellent judge, um, ended up not getting a clerkship with him, but he thought enough of me to give my information and share it with Judge Lawson and encouraged me to apply, applied there, got the interview, got the clerkship, great experience. It's one of those things that, you know, although I didn't plan on that and didn't really like understand and comprehend that, like what that was and what it would entail, it's a best experience of my, of my professional career by far. Um, got to spend two years kind of transitioning from law school to being a lawyer where, you know, all of a sudden you're dealing with real cases and you're working with a federal judge and you're getting to seek trials and criminal trials and civil trials and other things. And it also allowed me to continue to develop like my interest and in what I was, you know, ultimately wanting to do. It was just a nice two years. Um, you know, I think most people that probably all people that do a federal clerkship, um, you know, will say it's one of the best experiences of their professional career. Would you say that sort of having that one on one experience with the federal judge really, really helped you in terms of, I guess, him presenting himself as a as a mentor to you, sort of teaching you the ropes. And I guess as another question, you know, can you describe how important mentorship was to you throughout your career? Sure. So, you know, I, I worked with some excellent um, prosecutors at the DA's office when I was in law school. Um, you know, there's not a ton of mentorship when you're, you know, the summer clerk. Um, but, you know, they, they would you know, tell me, hey, there's this hearing, there's this trial, this is interesting, and talk to me a little bit about it. There were a couple people in particular that, like, I was assigned to work for, and so I had more interaction with them. Um, definitely when I worked at the plaintiff's firm um, in Macon, got some really good mentorship from the people that worked there. Um, you know, and then certainly working for a federal judge. I mean, one of the things that he was big on was having lunch together with his law clerks every day, which, you know, some judges don't do that. 
Um, I mean, I've heard people that clerked for judges in the Northern District of Georgia and Atlanta, and it was like, you were just a worker bee, you know, you just didn't have that. So being able to have that connection and, and just, it's really more just exposure. It's being a sponge. And I think that, you know, whether you're uh, working somewhere, you're 1L year, 2L year, through whatever, being a sponge and just absorbing what's going on and taking it in and processing it is extremely helpful um, and, and will allow you to develop uh, your interests, will allow you to develop, um, you know, subject matter expertise sometimes, procedural expertise, and just kind of understanding how to practice law, how to carry yourself. Um, and so I, I was very fortunate to have that that two-year clerkship experience. Yeah, that's lovely that he had lunch with you every day. That That's amazing. Yeah. Honestly. I, I, All I, the law, yeah, it was me, the other law clerk, uh, the judge, his secretary, uh, deputy clerk would sometimes join us. Um, but it was a, a group of us. We go to lunch almost every single day. That's that's lovely. Were were you packing lunch? Were they were they buying it for you? I have to ask. No, no, no. I had to pay for my own myself. <laughs> federal federal law clerks make okay money, um, especially being in Macon. Um, you know where cost of living's affordable. It wasn't a big deal, and you know, it wasn't like we were going to super fancy places that were, you know, twenty dollars a mill or anything like that. Absolutely. And I, I love I love the sort of saying that you just made there, sort of being a sponge. I find myself I love being a sponge. Uh, I, I'm always I'm always listening, always learning. It's the most important thing to do. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a philosophy major, so I always have okay. to get real philosophical on the podcast. You're going to have to go to law school. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, that, that's, <laughs> this is this is the that, that's the reason I made the podcast to see if I should do yeah. it or not. And it's a great, a great major for law school, by the way, is philosophy. Yeah, that that that's what I was I, I've been told many times and even before I came to school, because originally I was a political science major mm-hmm. and I started, you know, taking the classes and I was like this. I don't want to say it sucked, but it sucked. And yeah. I didn't love the readings and it was just very dry. And I was like, yeah, so but in my free time, I read philosophy. So I was like, why don't I just be a philosophy major? And yeah. oh, ever since the rest, the rest is history. As they say, it's been three years of being a philosophy major. I love it very much. I enjoy the classes. But one of my favorite philosophers, Aristotle, always talked about it's very important. You know, the gaining of knowledge, you always got to do it. You always mm-hmm. just got to keep learning and learn. you got to be a student for life. And yeah, that's what I, well, I, I, I think the subject of, of majors is important, you know, because I, you know, I didn't know what to major in. I got changed my major a bazillion times, but, you know, I like psychology. I really like that. Um, you know, I think a lot of people think they have to have a certain major to go to law school or to be successful in law school. And that's just not true you can major in anything, you know, you can major in business, marketing, history, social work, uh, music, art, philosophy, whatever, you know, I think the best thing is for people to do what interests them. Because if you're in a major that interests you and that you're passionate about, you're going to try your best, you're going to feel passionate about you're going to want to study. And that's going to get you the good grades, which will help you get into the law school. So, you know, people shouldn't have a preconceived idea about what major they need to have to go to law school. 
It's that's a really important point and something I very much highlight. It's it's in the description of the podcast. There is no straight path. Uh, and, you know, you could take whatever out. But as long as you feel passionate, you feel interested in going to law school, it doesn't matter what you're majoring, even for myself, philosophy. But to your point, I'm very interested in philosophy. I get very good grades in my philosophy class. I think I don't think I've ever not gotten an A in, in a philosophy class. But it's because I'm interested in it. I'm motivated. Mm -hmm. You know, they always give all the readings, uh, which is very funny because, you know, we all know no one's actually doing the reading. But <laughs> right. I I do a lot of the readings because it actually interests me. In one mm -hmm. of my classes, I know this past week we had to read about John Paul Sartre. And I knew about him. I knew who he was, but I wasn't really sure like what he was about. So I had to read it. I was like, this is very interesting. I don't I don't agree with him that much. But it, it was just in that sense is that I'm interested in it. It makes me it gets me motivated to go to class, talk in class, mm -hmm. you know, get good grades, become favorable with the professor per se. But yeah, no, I I think doing what you're passionate about that that you want to learn, the subject that you're you're interested in is the most important thing. Because the other thing is like if you pick a major and you're thinking, hey, I want to go to law school, and then you kind of get to the end of college and you're like, man, I I really don't want to go to law school. Well, th then what? You know, are you are you gonna have a, a degree where you studied something that you weren't even interested in that you're not gonna pursue a career in or that's not gonna be helpful to you? I mean, um, you know, and again, whether it's law school, business, you know, whatever it is, you can be successful in just about any field, even if you didn't study in it. I mean, I have my own law firm now for 10 years. I didn't know anything about business when I started um, you know, law school. When I got through law school, I didn't I didn't take a single business course in law school. I didn't take or in uh, undergrad. I didn't take a business class. I didn't take a marketing class. I didn't take an accounting class. I didn't know anything. And 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 to that point, I have to say, that's why we have the wonderful internet. I'm a very big fan of the internet. It's how I started this podcast, actually. I went onto Google. I typed in how to start a podcast. And, you know, the rest is history from there. But I think there's so much information out there that you can really, you know, sort of jump down the rabbit hole of pretty much any subject nowadays and, sure. and the best possible information that you can. Mm -hmm. Going back to your career, after you finished the federal law clerkship, you became an attorney for a year at Freeman, Mathis and Gary, which actually- I didn't, I didn't even last a year there. Oh. It was like seven months. Seven months. But I- They I, didn't I, fire me, by the way, just for the record, <laughs> I quit. I went to go work at a plaintiff's firm. I could not stand working at a defense firm. I- it, it was just antithetical to every inch of my being. And I would have quit the first day if I could have. <laughs> so you you went seven months there, but then you became an attorney. At, all right, I'm going to try it again. Warshower. Warshower. Sorry. Warshower. I got that Long Island accent. I can't. Yeah, that's good. Can't get it out. Warshower. There we go. Warshower Law Group for four years. How was that experience? Love it. It was great. Um, you know, I worked with some excellent attorneys, um, developed great relationships, good friendships um, that have continued to this day, even though I've been gone from there for 10 years. Um, but it was a it was a firm that really focused on catastrophic injury and wrongful death cases. So, uh, you know, their business model was was to be selective on the cases they took. And so that was good in the sense that I got to work on some really high value cases and interesting cases, handled a ton of appeal, uh, brief writing when I worked there, um, you know, 
got to second chair some trials, got to what I would call third or fourth chair some trials where you're not actually the one sitting at council table, but you're helping with the trial prep, you're, you know, researching legal issues, maybe helping draft motions in limine, helping with jury instructions and kind of getting to see that process from a case coming in through trial um, was really important. And, you know, going back to the clerkship, that was another thing, just being a sponge. I watched a ton of trials when I was clerking. Um, and so getting to see that, getting to, um, you know, then see it in practice um, and actually getting to work on the cases was invaluable and, and was just a phenomenal experience. But, you know, ultimately I had that entrepreneurial uh, bug and I really wanted to start my own firm. And even though I didn't take a business class in college, I kind of always wanted to do my own thing. And some of that comes from, I just don't work well for other people. Um, I'm a little stubborn. I like to do things my way. Don't like being told what to do. And so, um, you know, after four years, I really felt like I was at a good position to launch my own firm. And that's what I did. 2014, started the champion firm, um, subleasing space from a family law attorney, rented one single office. I think she charged me like 900 bucks a month. Didn't have any employees when I first started. Um, I was the paralegal, legal assistant, whatever. And, you know, my sole goal was to not starve to death. I mean, literally all I had was like 10 cases and a laptop and a printer and a desk and, you know, all that stuff. But um, it, it's amazing to look back then, you know, from now and to see everything that's changed and and just my professional development and personal development and everything that kind of being a business owner and having my own firm has has taught me. So that that's that's been of recently. I've had a ton of people on the podcast who mm -hmm. own their own firm and started it. Can you talk about starting your own firm? What sort of the stresses that went into that? I feel like every time I bring up this question, I sort of open up a Pandora's box of like the, the struggle. Yeah, it's a lot of it. I mean, so I mean, again, kind of like with. Um, with law school, like I didn't start law school with any goals to like, oh, I'm going to get these grades. I'm just going to get this. It was just, I try my best. It's the same thing when I started my firm. Like I didn't have any revenue goals, financial goals, profit goals or anything. My sole goal was to be able to support my family. I mean, I, I we, uh, we have two kids now, but I had a, just one child at the time. And it's like, I just want to survive. Like I, I didn't have any grand ambitions to, you know, reach some goal. And so, you know, to some extent that helped a little bit because the bar, I set the bar pretty <laughs> low for myself. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was interesting. I've, I've learned a lot about um, people. I've learned a lot about hiring, you know, how to identify people that are a good fit for your firm, um, how to identify people that are a bad fit. I've learned a lot about managing people, um, about how to run and operate a law firm. Uh, I could tell you if I had started my firm 10 years ago with a plan to have it what it is now and tried to do that in a short period of time, I probably would have been way more stressed out because you know most of the learning that I've got has just been from a slow burn over 10 years, just being exposed to it. Again, being a sponge, just learning things, picking up on things and learning from all the mistakes I've made. Um, but it was, 
it was definitely the best decision that I ever made. So in your 10 years of, of, of having the champion law firm, what, what's sort of the, the great lessons that you've taken away from it? I guess, you know, the things that sort of stick out. Above great question. Oh man, I'd have to go through this. You know, I, so I have my own podcast championing justice. And on the very first episode, I went through like the mistakes that I've made. Um, you know, one of the mistakes is you get what you pay for. Um, I've learned that with employees. The very first employee I hired was, um, somebody I found off Craigslist to be a paralegal, <laughs> like 10 to $12 an hour didn't last more than three weeks. Um, you know, that's certainly one, I think hiring for fit and personality and, and work ethic and character over resume is extremely important. Um, you know, I think that's overlooked a lot. I, I think a lot in sports analogies. Um, and if you think of, you know, your organization as a sports team and look at, you know, whether it's, for example, a professional football team, if you have, are you a Jets fan or Giants? Giants. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> somewhat more success. But if you look at it and you say, hey, this person's extremely talented, um, you know, they're just a great performer, but they're a cancer in the locker room. They're going to disrupt the team dynamic and they're going the team isn't going to perform as well. And it's the same thing here. I mean, having a business and having a firm is a team sport. It's having people in different roles. Um, it's having, you know, as they say, the, the right people in the bus, but the, the people in the right seats as well. Um, you know, I've learned, uh, get what you pay for. doesn't just apply to employees. It applies to other things. I've learned the importance of having a long-term vision, um, and being patient and viewing things as a long-term play. I think especially nowadays, and I, you know, I grew up, I was born in 1982. So I'm kind of like that in between those generations and, I'm I'm sure I would be classified in like one of four different generations or labels, but you know I didn't grow up with instant messenger or texting or cell phones. Like I had to borrow my dad's cell phone when I was in high school. Like if I needed, if I thought I might need it, and it was like a brick. I mean, it was huge, <laughs> and you couldn't text on it. You couldn't do anything. So you know, but I've developed and you know been able to use this uh, technological tool certainly well as I um, you know have progressed. But I think that the current um, environment, I think everything with social media, the way that you can order things on Uber, Amazon, whatever has led to this um, instant gratification and this idea of people wanting things now, they want success now. They start a job and they wanna be making what the experienced 20 year person makes. They wanna raise in six months, um, and but they're not willing to put in the day-to-day -day work. And there's a great book that I read years ago and uh, it's called The Slight Edge. And it's just about how daily incremental improvements over a consistent long period of time can produce extreme results. And, you know, they do the curve where it kind of goes up like this, but at the same time, the negative results, it goes down like this. Um, you know, you like to work out. You could think of it as, you know, somebody working out at the gym. Uh, you know, if somebody doesn't eat well and doesn't exercise at first, you know, they may still kind of be the same and not see those gains as the person who's going to the gym, but eventually those paths diverge. And I think having patience, not giving up when you can't see results, again, to use the gym analogy, like you're not going to be super buff one week going into the gym, but if you're constantly doing it every single day and have a long-term vision and are patient, 
um, that will get you there. And I think people that follow that approach, whether it's law school or, you know, being a lawyer can really um, have a lot of success and it's, it's sort of their edge, um, you know, that, that I think they have over other people who give up sometimes when they don't see those rules or they want that instant gratification. And so they take shortcuts. Um, you know, you, I can think of, of people that start their own law firm who might take shortcuts to trying to get cases. Maybe they do things that are questionable to try and get cases. And while that may produce some short-term success, it's not a good recipe for a, a long-term success. Absolutely. So I would say, you know, embrace the long-term and enjoy the process, right? And enjoy just the process of um, being a lawyer and working on stuff. And if you do that and work hard, um, you know, everything will will pay off in the end. Yeah, those are all absolutely amazing and super duper impo- important points, sort of, you know, the, the compounding sort of exponential growth of things. Mm-hmm. And I think just that sort of idea in itself is, it, it, it remains true in every single facet of life. I know you made the analogy to the gym. Mm-hmm. I remember when I used to look like a toothpick. Uh, yeah. I, I haven't, I haven't surpassed anything. I'm not, I'm not large guy at all. Um, but I definitely don't look like a toothpick anymore. And that was a, you know, it, it has been working out for four years. It took a long time. I go to the gym every day. It's it's a daily grind, mm-hmm. but you know, it, it's just about showing up every day. If you show up every day, it's eventually, you know, going to work out, you know, and, and a lot of it, a lot of it I found is, is sort of luck. Luck has a very big thing, a very big part of life. But if you could sort of push the ballots and the balance and in, in towards being a little more lucky. If you just show up every day, that's what I found. Uh, you, create, you create the opportunities for yourself is, is really what it is. I mean, I can think of cases um, that we've had that are big cases. And some people might look at them and say, well, you're lucky. Um, maybe, I mean, yes. When you look at how did this person find me and how did they get to me? You're like, man, but at the same time, it comes back to, I didn't just sit at home and do this. I didn't, I I wasn't just sitting back waiting for a case to fall in my lap. And I think that's a big mistake that a lot of, of younger lawyers make is they turn down opportunities um, to grow, to work with other people, to establish a name for themselves, to excel because they're wanting, they want to be selective from the beginning and you can get to the point that you can be selective, but you've got to put in the work on the front end. Um, so it, you know, and it's not just being a plaintiff's attorney, but it's whatever you do. I mean, if you're going to work at a defense firm or a big firm or be a transactional lawyer, you've got to earn your stripes. And so you've got to put in the work and develop that expertise, develop that knowledge. You're not going to start right away with being given the the big project or whatever. And, you know, again, I think if, if you went to law school, for example, because somebody has this idealized um, version or view of what it's like to be a lawyer because it's something they've seen on TV and they want that instantly, you know, they're going to be disappointed um, because being a lawyer is not like what it is on TV uh, for a variety of reasons. And so I think that, um, you know, people really need that are thinking about law school need to ask that question. You know, why do they want to go to law school? Why do they want to be a lawyer? That that's really important. And before you talked about the book, The Slight Edge, that helped you. I have to ask who authored that book. Do you know that? Uh, I can Google it really quick. Uh, I think his name was Jeff Olson. Okay. Um, let me see. Yes, Jeff Olson, The Slight Edge. 
there, there's a bunch of books like that that are kind of similar. You know, there's a book called The Compound Effect um, by a guy named Darren Hardy. They're all kind of the similar, you know, genre, the similar kind of subject matter of this idea of doing the work on a daily basis and doing it consistently over a long period of time and the results that it can produce for you. Um, you know, it's like the old tortoise and the hare fable, you know, you can sprint at the beginning and, you know, but if you're consistently just do getting to your goal over a long period of time, you can beat somebody that starts out quicker. Maybe that has an advantage at the beginning. Um, you know, but again, I, I, I think whether it's law school, college, you know, any kind of endeavor, people can really, um, learn a lot just by being persistent and just showing up and doing the work. It's a universal truth. I couldn't, I could not agree more. And since we're on the topic of books, are there any other books? Let's, let's do the Darl champion book recommendations, official on the mm. in the making podcast. Some of your favorites that have helped you throughout your life. It doesn't have to be about law. It could be about pretty much anything. Just your favorite, drop your recommendations. That's a great question. I'd have to think about that, um, you know, because a lot of what I've read lately, you know, I read a lot of trial lawyer books and trial guides and things like that. Um, you know, I really think The Slight Edge is a good, um, is a is a really good book for people. Um, Atomic Habits, which is somewhat of a similar kind of book, is kind of similar thing. Um, I don't remember the titles, but I've read some books on stoicism, which you'll appreciate as a philosophy major. Um, I think uh, any book that has to, I, I read one that it was like a, a daily meditation, 365 days, and each day you would read one. And then I read another one. I forget what it was. Um, I, I think people can benefit um, from uh, stoicism and the philosophy and reading it. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I'm, I'm sure as soon as we get off the podcast, I'll be like, oh, man, I've got this book on my shelf. And it was like the greatest book ever. And <laughs> I I should have uh, should have mentioned it. Yeah, I, I can't believe you said stoicism because I love it. I'm a very big fan of it, big proponent of it. But there's a book that I love. It's one of my favorite books. And I've never said it on the podcast before. And I was so disappointed. I was listening to a podcast beforehand and they mentioned it. And I was like, damn, mm -hmm. I can't believe it's a Seneca letters to Lucius is okay. one of probably one of the best books I've ever read. It is absolutely amazing. And I think this guy was around in like three, the year 300. So a very okay. long time ago, but what he says is still extremely, extremely relevant. Uh, it, it was actually a podcast with Tim Ferriss. Do you, I don't know if you know who that is. I, I know who he is. Yeah. 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 So he, he's a very big inspiration of mine. Oh, I got a great book for you. Two good books. One is Grit. Okay. Um, that's a great book. The other one is Mindset by Carol Dweck, D-W-E-C-K. And the whole idea behind, and I would say Mindset may actually be the most important book I've read um, because it's it changes kind of the way you view just about everything. Um, the idea is that there's two types of of mindsets. One is a growth mindset. One is a fixed mindset. The fixed mindset views people's skills as kind of set in stone when they're born. The growth mindset is I can learn anything and I can um, take on a challenge and learn things. And so there's, you know, for example, with a, a fixed mindset, people might be jealous of other people's success. 
because they view it as like a zero sum game. Well, if they're successful, that means I can't or whatever it is. Um, they take um, any kind of criticism or critiques personally because they take it as a personal attack on themselves. People with a growth mindset take feedback as an opportunity to grow and develop. And so it's been a very important book for me personally in terms of how I view things and if I ever come across a challenge on how I approach it. But it's also been a very important book for me in terms of how I approach employees and how I view employee performance, how I view new associates who start with me after law school and their development and training and you know what can they be. I mean, the whole idea of it is, yes, there might be people that kind of have natural tendencies to be good at certain things. For example, like math, there's certain people that might have a natural tendency. Maybe their brain is just wired away to be somewhat good at math. Um, but you can be good at it too if you learn it. Like these skills can be learned if you actually put in the effort. But what happens a lot of times is the people with a fixed mindset, they get frustrated because they don't get that instant success. And they have that view of, I'm just not good at it. And so they just don't do it. And they don't take, put forth the effort. Learning a, a language is another example. You know, people would say, well, I just can't do it. I just don't have that brain. Well, then you're never going to do it. Or I can't learn an instrument. Um, if you view it as, hey, you know, I can learn anything and do anything, it really opens up a lot of opportunities in your life, professionally and personally. I mean, the the, pe the people listening can't see this, but I'm smiling ear to ear. Darl, I got to be honest, you're speaking the Nate Crespo gospel. Uh, <laughs> the, the growth mindset and the scarcity mindset is something that I learned a, a couple of years ago, and it absolutely changed my life. You you see the world completely differently. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, your analogies to sort of the, the math, uh, I think that's really important because I think there is a, a striking distinction between talent and skills mm -hmm. where talent comes naturally to people. Some people are very good at math or they're very good at physics. I'm not. I'm terrible at it. But yeah. there are skills out there in the world that you can teach yourself and learn about through books or podcasts. Sure. Or, you know, I whatever. mean, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. Like, I would probably never be somebody, and I didn't take calculus, but I would probably never be somebody that was going to get an A plus in calculus and go on to be an engineer. Like I've just, from like third grade, I've always done better in like the reading comprehension side of things. Just, I think it's just the way I'm wired. But could I have taken courses and applied myself and developed the skills to like get a passing grade? I'll give you a perfect example. I took a, I had to take a statistics class in college uh, for my political science major. And I was like, man, I'm screwed. Like, <laughs> this is this is going to tank my GPA. I suck at math. I'm going to be terrible at it. I got a hundred on every single exam. Every single exam got the highest grade in the class because I was interested in it. I applied myself. The professor presented it in a way that was digestible. Now, if you asked me now anything about what I learned in statistics, I'd probably like be like, I don't remember any of this. But I think that goes to show like I had the capacity to learn that skill to, uh, you know, apply myself and and do well, not not only pass, but to do the best that I, you know, I, I think he had told me at one point that I got that I did the best that anybody had ever done in that class. And I was like blown away. I'm like, I suck at math. How did I do this? Um, I took an income tax. We had to take income tax in law school. And there's no math really involved in that other than just kind of basic stuff. But I'm like, man, I'm going to suck at this. Because like, you know, I had tried to do my taxes before, um, <laughs> like with my college jobs and stuff. And I would do like the TurboTax thing. And I'm like, man, I'm screwed. I got a 99. I got the highest grade in the class. 
I, you know, again, I, I think it goes to viewing things just through a different lens. And so if I, if I had to say for anybody to like, to, to just go get one book this week and pick it up and start reading it, it would be the growth mindset. It will fundamentally change the way that you view just about everything in life. Oh, I'll tell you what, I'll be on Amazon later today, looking up the book. I'll and- send you a copy when we get off. Send me, uh, you're in college. You don't need to be paying for books. You have enough books to pay for. When we get off, uh, shoot me an email or message me on LinkedIn with your address. I'll get a copy delivered to you. Wow. Wow. I appreciate that so much, Darl. You don't even no problem. And I literally, I, I eat books. It's very funny. Uh, but I, I just love reading the book. Do you want to hear the book I'm reading right now? Can I yeah. do it? Can I do it? Okay. I'm reading, uh, I'm reading Visionary by Graham Hancock. I'm very, okay. into, he's, he's a, make a note of that. He's an archaeologist, but there, um, I forget. There's a Netflix series that he did. Uh, okay. Basically, he sort of explores uh, these ancient sort of temples, and he's totally he's totally messing up the history timeline of human beings. And I'm just really interested in it because you know they they would say that that it was only hunter gatherers before that last ice age, but with all the new evidence coming out, I can't believe I'm talking about this right now. But yeah, with, it's, it's with, interesting. With all with all this new evidence coming out in, in sort of the archaeology world, they're now finding out that there's these structures, giant structures as as big as the pyramids of of Giza, uh, that exist out there in the world that are almost 30, 40, 50 thousand years old. Wow. Um, and they're, you know, completely made of, uh, you know, stone. These people are traveling hundreds of miles. They're bringing uh, specifically, uh, there's this one in Indonesia. It's this giant pyramid temple. Wow. And these people are, these rocks are based 100 miles away. It's this sort of volcanic rock. So basically, people were carrying this stuff 100 miles, building these giant structures. And I've just been diving down this rabbit hole, and I simply cannot get out. I love it so much. I just started the book. I bought it the other No, other. That's, that, that's great. I mean, I, I think developing a habit of reading, because you've got to read a ton in law school. Like, you can get away in undergrad with maybe not reading stuff all the time or getting kind of the Cliff Notes versions. you got to read in law school. Um, you know, may, you know, can you get the, you know, the outlines and the other things and, um, read that and, and do an okay job maybe. Um, but I think ultimately to develop your brain as a lawyer and think like a lawyer, you got to read the cases. So that gets back to studying things that interest you and develop that skill and that passion. Um, and it sounds like you would have no problem reading, uh, reading cases. Um, yeah, I'm, subject matter is a little bit drier but it's I'm, I'm sure you would like it absolutely I, I i'm hoping i like it as well and and i can't believe i just got to talk about the book i'm reading about i had to i couldn't keep it within <laughs> me i just love that i was reading it before i came on here but last three questions here first sure. question not it's not weird anymore it's an established question i'm putting my foot down what are the sorts of things that you consume, not food, consume on a daily basis in terms of, you know, social media, whether that be Instagram or X, you know, do you have any favorite people that you read all the time, maybe Substacks, so on and so forth? Yeah, so um, I don't, uh, you know, I read the AJC, which is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I, you know, CNN, just kind of traditional news sites where, where I get my news from can also give me ideas for content for our website or for social media. Um, not on Twitter or X, um, Twitter slash X, one in the same now. 
Um, Instagram and Facebook, I, I check sometimes. We've got, you know, both the firm having a presence on there. But me too, I've really tried to work over the last year of trying to develop my personal brand as a lawyer and just kind of reinforcing what I do. So, you know, that also gives me ideas for things. Um, YouTube, which is good for, you know, we've been starting to do more YouTube videos. So it can help me kind of get ideas when I see news or other things like, oh, this happened. This would be a good thing for me to comment on. Um, and that's that's really just kind of on a day-to-day -day basis, the main sources of of information for me. Yeah, I forgot, I forgot about YouTube. I, I haven't mentioned YouTube at all in, in the previous podcast either. Thank you for pointing that out. Now I will write it down. It will be there forever. Second question. You're always working. You got your own law firm. But what does an ideal Friday night or Sunday morning look for Darl Champion? That's a great question. So um, I'm a huge sports fan. I have season tickets to Falcons, Hawks, Braves and Atlanta United, every Beautiful. sports team. Uh, we actually have a suite at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium for Falcons <laughs> and United. Um, so I love going to sports. So if there's a sporting event, I'd love to do that. Um, also love going out to to nice restaurants. I'm a somewhat of a foodie. Uh, some my mom <laughs> says that I'm a food snob, but I love going to nice restaurants, um, trying new foods, trying things. You know, having a nice cocktail. Um, that's a good Friday night. Cocktails, not good on Sunday morning. Um, you know, Sunday morning, uh, yeah, I've got two small kids. I just like getting up. You know, we order breakfast a lot of times from, you know, they love McDonald's. So that's kind of their thing is egg McMuffin and hash browns, or maybe we'll get pancakes from somewhere. And just spending time with them, playing with them, you know, being being lazy, working out, um, you know, love exercise. I think it's a great way to kind of clear your mind and, uh, come up with ideas so if i can do that on a sunday it's it's great yeah i'm i'm a i'm a i'm a huge fan of mcdonald's i have to say that it is, <laughs> it is my it is my guilty pleasure every so often and their french fries are so good but you got you got to get them like when they're hot and like they got that crisp oh they're they're good they're good literally to die for oh my yeah i'm gonna try to resist and not get mcdonald's today um, but I have to ask, are, are, are you a big, I'm a huge soccer fan. So I love that you got the season tickets to the beautiful Mercedes Benz stadium. I can't believe you have a suite. That place is awesome. Yeah. Um, but uh, do you, do you love the soccer? Do you love Atlanta United? So I will tell you, um, I like soccer. I probably couldn't name a person who plays on the team. Maybe two people. <laughs> um, you know, I go, I like it. It's entertaining. Um, I, if I was sitting at home on a Friday, Saturday night and they were on, I wouldn't watch them. Um, <laughs> you know, occasionally like when there's nothing else on a Sunday morning, maybe I'll watch a premier league game or something just cause it's the only sport on. I just, I like sports. I like competition. Um, but like, I will seriously, like if I was able to, I would watch every single Braves game. Like <laughs> I like, it's kind of my, like my wife's background noise uh, for TV is HGTV house hunters, whatever. For me, I'll have a Braves game on and I'll watch every single game and I'll have no problem doing it. Um, same thing with the Atlanta Hawks. You know, I'll I could watch every single game and have it on as background noise. Um, so that that's kind of the difference between you know where I'm at with soccer right now. Um, you know, we have the World Cup is coming. We're gonna have, of course, y'all are getting the the final. We are the final. Um, but we've got a bunch of games here for that. We've got um, Copa America is gonna be here in a few months. 
Um, I think two games are going to be including a match involving Argentina. Okay. So like, I'll go to that. Like, I love the idea of watching, you know, Messi play. I was hopeful he was going to come last year when uh, Miami played here mm-hmm. and he did not play. <laughs> um, and a lot of people were unhappy. There was a lot of fans who showed up in Messi jerseys to not see Messi play. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how I would describe my, affection for soccer absolutely i i I actually got into the soccer thing late uh my my dad played college football so he was he was not a fan of of the whole soccer thing he didn't let us play at all throughout uh Mm because you know we're we're a big basketball family big football family uh i love the brooklyn nets even though they suck uh but that's okay no no moves at the trade deadline i'll keep it to myself um atlanta hawks did not make any moves at the trade deadline either after all those rumors yeah, I'm surprised DeJounte Murray didn't go anywhere. I heard something. He might come to the Nets. I was like, oh, uh, you know, I, I, I heard Trey Young to the Spurs, which I, I know is like a fantasy. That wasn't going to happen. But, you know, I heard DeJounte Murray to the Lakers, to the Pelicans, to all these people and, you know, ended up. But, yeah, that's that's kind of, you know, as you can tell, I follow a lot of the Atlanta sports teams. But, again, like if you were, hey, this guy is getting transferred or traded, whatever they call it in soccer, I, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know who the guy is. Wouldn't know much about him. I like. I know when Joseph Martinez played here when we won the MLS Cup. Like he was our best player. I know that. Um, otherwise, I just go and watch and have a good time, and that's the extent of it. Well, there's no. I mean, listen. If I had season tickets at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, I would be there every single chance I possibly could be. Um, and I'm also a huge Trey Young fan. I love Trey Young. He's one of my favorite. I've been watching him. Me, me and my brothers are very big into high school basketball. So we've been watching him ever since he was in high school. That's interesting. I think he's absolutely yeah. amazing. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't like him because he draws a lot of fouls, but it's the game. You got to, he's yeah. good at it and they don't like it. Um, but yeah. final question here. I do this at the end of every episode. What are your words of wisdom for the aspiring law students, the current law students, and the current legal professionals out there in the world? Sure. So, you know, I would say, you know, follow what you enjoy doing, not what somebody else wants you to do. Sometimes people go to law school because a family member or there's some societal pressure or whatever that they think they need to be a lawyer. Sometimes people go to a particular practice area because they think they need to do that. They've been told they're good at arguing, so they want to be a litigator. But maybe their true passion is in just going through contracts and working on real estate deals. At the end of the day, there is something for everybody in law. There's transactional, there's litigation, there's you know private law firms, there's government, there's education, um, there's in-house counsel roles. There's people who start their own firms who really just become business people who don't ever handle a case. They just want to be the rainmaker or whatever. It's okay. Like do what you want to do and kind of have that vision of what's your ideal life? Like, what do I want to do? Where do I want to be in 10 years, five years, whatever? And then do it. Don't follow somebody else's plan for you. Well, Darl, beautifully said. And that's the podcast. Thank you so, so much. For Excellent. Doing- Thanks for having me on, Nate. No problem. And for everyone out there listening, thank you for tuning in. And I will see you in the next one.